This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. And but also getting people to realize that we aren't the guys fighting the fire. We're the ones that just need to figure out what's going on and communicate that back to decision makers um, and help them understand the difference between the tactical and, and what strategically they're going to need to do going forward. Hi, and welcome to EM Weekly, your emergency management podcast. And this is your host, Todd DeVoe. This week, we are talking to Brent Blazer, who was working for Sonoma County um, during the Tubbs Fire in 2017. Now, if you guys remember, the Tubbs Fire actually combined with three or four other fires to become known as the Northern California uh, Firestorm. This fire, or these fires, I should say, uh, were known as the most destructive fire uh, in California's history until the campfire in 2018. The Tubbs Fire, or the Northern California Firestorm, burned over 36,000 acres and estimated that it killed 22 people. And uh, Brent is here today to talk to you about his experience on that fire and some of the lessons learned and some of the cool things that they were actually able to pull off during that fire. Brent, welcome to Ian Weekly. Hey, thanks for having me, Todd. You are sitting there, you're, you're working your, your daily job here at the uh, Sonoma County uh, Emergency Management and or wh- whatever you're doing that evening, and boom, you get the call for a wildfire. Tell, kind of walk me through that process and, and uh, what that meant for you. Uh, you know, when that, when that went off, it was really deceptive we were actually some of us were actually outside the area because CISA was actually taking part um california emergency services association the annual conference and the odd thing was i was actually driving out of town um when the initial nixels uh started dropping from napa county which you know beautiful day all day uh see your phone start saying you know firing calistoga which county next door didn't think too much about it and lo and behold you know within a few hours it had gone from one one city you know one town in in the county next door all the way into basically the heart of santa rosa um even when reports were coming that hey you know certain you know coffee park was on fire it just sounded completely unrealistic for it to, you know, fire to go across six lanes of highway, especially the rate at which, you know, reports were coming and people were saying different things. It was just all over the spectrum. Uh, so honestly, it turned into, you know, who's going where team-wise. Uh, our emergency manager had to make the decision of, you know, trying to just get a scope of, like, truly how bad is this? Because, um, you know, some reports were like, hey, this fire, this this building's burning down and it's like, I just drove by it and it's not, you know? Um, so honestly, complete mayhem. Yeah, there's no rhyme or reason or no other way really to put it. Um, when you have 
you know, a windstorm and such that we did that day. I think they were saying 90 mile an hour winds and this, this thing was traveling, you know, multiple, you know, football fields per second mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, so, you know, initially, um, our emergency manager asked me to stand fast and start, you know, coordinating some information, opening shelters, putting those up. We have a JS components on our web page and start getting it out to the public, which shelters are open um, and just trying to get our arms around like what was truly going on, um, you know, and what notifications and how to get people back. Because at that point, I don't think a lot of people, as they look back, they say, you know, why didn't you do this or that? literally just trying to figure out how to call staff in because the fire was within you know a quarter mile or so of the emergency operation center so i mean not only was it like how do you get people back and figure out what's going on but it's you know right next door to the emergency operation center is the jail um the county jail and so it's kind of like are we going to have to evacuate this jail when you got you know um debris falling out of the sky essentially and buildings that are burning down within you know, a quarter mile, a couple blocks away, you know, entire trailer park right right around the corner from the sheriff's department is, is no longer there. Um, so it was just, you know, how do, how do you even call staff back when the roads are closed into the emergency operations center? Um, and that was pretty much what the scene was throughout the evening and such. Um, to kind of even recap of what was going through your mind, it was just where do you start that makes sense how long did it take you guys to really get your arms wrapped around the situation uh i don't think i don't think we really had it wrapped around until you know the next at least probably noon the next day of to scale of what we were really looking at i mean to you know it it kicked off at like 9 30 at night um you know you're still dealing with it through, through the evening when daylight hits it's when you can actually go out and you're still seeing properties that are on fire within you know a couple of blocks of of the of the emergency operations center um so i mean in, in, you know in, in the emergency in, in emergency management we're, we're the we're the tail end of it you know you know cal fire and all the fire agencies are they're doing the best they can but when literally i mean if you look at the scale you know the the amount of terrain and such that was on fire there's not enough resources any anywhere right to deal with that um i think it's interesting that we we do these exercises you know and and everything always goes like even according to the plan right that everybody's there at the eoc every everybody has the information coming into them through measles you know to to really understand that a fire kicking off at that hour of the evening and to really kind of to grasp it's not just like sitting at a, at a drill you know and i think oh. i think those are people i mean and i know we're talking to emergency managers here but it's just interesting that when you when you talk to the students you know they always seem to think oh it's going to be we're going to have all the information in the world the news media is going to have their helicopters flying we're going to know exactly what's going on but it's not true so I, I just wanted to stress that a little bit oh you you nailed it i mean when you really talk about the uh especially large scale fires like these I mean, I dealt with Butte County also. And, um, you know, there's so much smoke. I mean, just seeing out to the parking lot and just trying to get an idea of what's going on around a building could be, could be challenging. <laughs> um, but you know, the, the, and, and then the dynamic with the complex fire in, in Sonoma, which was like about a year and a half ago now, um, 
even when management teams started, you know, really working it, um, we had one incident management team up on the Napa side and, uh, you know, one, you know, that was down in Santa Rosa. Um, so essentially you had two incident management teams and then where the dividing line of where they're doing, you know, um, areas of operation, you know, our County was kind of split. So we had some of the fire fires that were, cause we had multiple fires that kind of merged in the, the subs and such, um, that were up farther North of the County and then, you know, down South. And so that made it even more challenging on our team. Um, cause you know, you got, the EM staff that are trying to be within the EOC, then you're trying to send EM staff out to actually figure out what's going on when, when the cooperators meetings and such and representing and, and making sure you're at the, you know, ops briefings and such. Um, so, I mean, you, you really kind of put a strain on us in the aspect that we only had um, essentially three full-time staff and two extra help uh, emergency management staff. And, the challenge then becomes, you know, when they look at the after action and they start saying what happened or didn't happen, you know, a lot of times novice start looking at it and they say, well, in San Diego, they do this or in LA, they do that. And it's like, okay, well, Sonoma County is more of a rural County, you know, rural County, maybe on the brink of being in one of the bigger counties. Um, you know, you can't even compare Sonoma County's capabilities to Mendocino County capabilities mm-hmm. you know at least at least we got five you know three and two uh three full-time two extra help at that time um you know lake county you know some of these rural counties um, where you're seeing a lot of these incidents they maybe have one emergency management staff member um you know sometimes not even a full-time person uh so i think it's a real real eye-opening experience i think a lot of a lot of jurisdictions are going to see um or have been seeing in the last couple of years where you know it's it's a true partnership so so there, there was a lot of criticism that came um from this fire for sonoma county and specifically the emergency management and how it's handled i don't necessarily want to get into the politics of things here but i just want to get into the lessons learned what were some of the the big issues that came out of this that caused that criticism and caused the changing of how Sonoma County's now doing emergency management? You know, so not to be dispensive or anything, I, and I totally understand. You know, uh, to criticism. I always try to tell people, no matter how good you think you are or something, when it when it goes sideways, you're definitely it's going to go sideways. There's going to be something you're not you're not going to do a hundred percent. I did the military for 13 years enlisted in an officer, you know, your plan is as good as first contact. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, and when you're under the stress and again, this happened at nine 30 initial took off at nine 30 on a Sunday night. Um, yeah, let's see how awake you are on a Sunday night when you weren't at work and our on call guy got there and he handled what he was supposed to handle. But then, you know, dispatch when when dispatch is calling you and asking you for information, you to do something for them that's normally in their scope. Uh, it definitely, you know, you can tell every everything's exacerbated at that point, and you're just doing everything you can. Um, but I would say, you know, we have a we always if you look to historically, we have a very uh, engaged and very um, proactive. Um, 
program that Sonoma, Sonoma has, has had that history um, from embracing ADA and AFN and hosting some of the first classes in Northern California for that um, to integrating GIS components. Um, I even spoke at an Esri conference six years ago, um, was kind of the front runner of pushing California officer of emergency services to even have an Esri, you know, GIS uh, uh, management group. Um, but I would say that some of the lessons learned, you know, where we, where I think every jurisdiction can do a better job is really kind of setting those expectations of what is emergency management and what is the capability of your program. And I say that because you really got to, you know, where I think I learned a lesson, um, cause I think, you know, we had an amazing emergency manager, um, was you gotta, you gotta engage the board. You gotta engage the community. Um, and again, getting them to understand the difference between the capabilities of say San Francisco and what the budget will allow in, in, you know, Sonoma County are two different beasts. Um, and not just what the budget will allow, but, you know, what are the resources within the, within the county, um, you know, what is emergency management and, you know, what, what is FEMA going to do or the state, you know, a lot of people will just think that an emergency happens or a disaster and money is no object. <laughs> um, and that the checkbook is wide open and why are we in emergency management telling them no. Right. And the reality is that if you don't check the spending, you're not going to be able to recover. Right. Um, you know, if you let these expenses go through the roof and you know, they're, you know, you chose to do them anyway, and you know they're not reimbursable, or you didn't have proper documentation. Um, you're really going to be in a hurt in the years come, especially when you start getting audited and everything. Um, so I, I really think that is the biggest lessons learned is making sure that you're out in front of your board and you're making sure, especially at the county level or city, um, that they understand, hey, this is this is the no joke. This is where our program stands right now. And this is what it's capable of. And if you want better service, then this is what it's going to cost you. Um, or this is how we can achieve it. Um, and getting the community to understand that and that, you know, um, that, that there is a, there's a buy-in on both sides of the table and that they have to be just as prepared and want these things, you know, before the disaster and not just after the disaster, um, because anybody can point, point, uh, fingers. Um, and, and I take this to heart because years ago when Lake County had its three back-to-back fires, um, you know, we were heavily involved, you know, we had an emergency manager that's been a very big supporter of Emma, our emergency management mutual aid. And um, so we've always had a good opportunity to get out the door and, and help out. And in that county, I watched an emergency manager, you know, who'd only been on, you know, duty for 12 months or whatever. Um, good, bad, indifferent. I don't know what the performance was. I do know that it's a, it was at the time that was a program that wasn't well supported. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the first people I saw, you know, get let go afterwards and kind of, um, you know, and that's something that we talked about in California Emergency Services Association is, you know, is this going to be the precedence or how do we start, you know, getting out in front of um, bad press for our profession as a whole? Because, you know, what I've been kind of seeing with Sonoma County is, you know, when something bad happens, they seem people will turn and they'll think, 
that I can go out that our, our three man for our three full-time staff and our two extra help staff can go and manage the shelters. And I can do all the situational awareness within the EOC and help everybody at their computers. Oh, and I can go brief the board members and I can go do the press releases and the press interviews and I can go fly the plane for the tsunami warning. Um, you know what I mean? It's right. just like, it's a team effort. And if, if the other departments and other, uh, their partners, don't carry and take their responsibility seriously. It can't be the emergency management staff um, driving the trailer to drop off the equipment, to set up the equipment, to manage the site and getting back to be in the EOC. Um, And I think that's where we as a profession really got to step it up and and develop, develop what our roles and responsibilities truly are and step into more of the management component if you would um because a lot of times our departments are buried you know our division might be buried within the county operations or the city and we essentially work for everybody else and then when a disaster comes we're looked at to be solving all those problems with no resources within our division right no no money no equipment no staff and it's like and then they want to and then so that's a lesson learned. I think we should all kind of really look at and say, all right, you know, what do you expect to get done if we're going to organize ourselves that way? Well, Brett, let's take a quick break here. And I want to come back to this question uh, when we get back from break regarding, you know, how do we really improve the profession and kind of move away from that whole collateral duty emergency management type of uh, platform we have now. So uh, stand by right now. Everybody just hold on for about 60 seconds and, and take a listen to our, our sponsors and uh, we'll see you in a minute. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. Welcome back from that break. And uh, thank you for listening to the sponsors because without them, we couldn't do what we do. And uh, I really do appreciate it. And reach out to them and tell them that you heard them here on EM Weekly. So, Brett, just before the break, we were just talking about some of the issues, specifically the, the global issues with emergency management, where we don't have, in some cases, we don't have true professional emergency managers sitting at the role, um, or we are attached to, like, say, either fire or police or, or even the county, and we have all these other duties that are tapped on top of us. So from when the disaster does come, we have to get into that response mode quickly. And I think sometimes um, people don't give, and when I say people, the, the politicians don't give that leeway uh, to the emergency manager to uh, to get up to to get up to speed necessarily. Moving forward, what do you think we could do better to to really get our EMs positioned to to serve the communities better? Well, it's a tough question because I I have to admit that last working in that jurisdiction really kind of changed um, or, you know, going through all that really changed my philosophy and, and, and viewpoint of how I think emergency management will be structured. Um, so getting in more in the response phase, I think, you know, closer, a closer alignment 
with, I don't want to say closer alignment. If you have, especially learn, learn morning, definitely closer alignment, say with dispatch, the roles and responsibility. Um, if we're waiting to call an EM staff member who's not really uh, got the situational awareness that, you know, what would be available in the, in the dispatch center, then you're really going to be behind the power curve. And then also, you know, authorizing a message and getting approval. Mm-hmm. So message origination becomes really challenging. Um, so I'm kind of struggling with that. Um, but that, that's just one component of, um, and but also getting people to realize that we aren't the guys fighting the fire. We're the ones that just need to figure out what's going on and communicate that back to decision makers um, and help them understand the difference between the tactical and, and what strategically they're going to need to do going forward. Um, so I, I do think there's needs to be, I used to not believe there was like a, a, to keep emergency management in with a sheriff or, or fire was the best course of action. Um, but I have to admit now, you know, getting, getting the situation under control is kind of the, the prefaces of what you need to do at the time. Um, so, you know, it is a good alignment, um, but pulling out those capabilities like alert and warning and moving them, uh, you know, again, not having one guy trying to do the messaging, trying to develop the situational awareness and, you know, let people in the building and do all those other fe- features. So maybe more of, of delegation of these, you know, capabilities, if you would. Mm-hmm. Moving from the response mode that we have um, and, and quickly into the recovery, right? And I know you guys um, had some interesting programs that you had for the recovery. Can you talk about how the recovery started and and uh, some of the things that you did there? Well, that's one aspect that I always struggle with because the push from the state and federal just seemed to be, hey, close down the EOC, shift into recovery. And the challenge generally becomes – you know, there's still things, you know, when your staff is essentially still doing response as- aspects, when you have most of your TPW doing damage assessment or you're still closed off in certain areas. And this happens specifically with Butte County where Town of Terra Paradise is still evacuated, but we were getting pushed to push them into recovery, which then now a lot of your staff time and all that stuff, you know, is no longer covered under Cat B. Um, you know, so you're bleeding money at that point, right? Essentially, mm-hmm. and so I think that is a really big struggle. Um, it's something that needs to be more defined of what it takes to shut down EOC operations and when those costs, if you would, start shifting in different categories. Um, because protective measures, you know, you, the biggest thing was all that staff overtime. Um, we were very fortunate that we were given 100% uh, reimbursement for the first 30 days, which pretty much covered all that um but with that said you know it's a really blurred line you know and people want to see like exactly when it hits you know recovery and the reality was you know right after you have a fire especially if you have any sort of terrain topography issues um now you you know the first especially since fire season so usually the bulk of fire season can become so close to when it actually going to start raining right right september october I mean, immediately afterwards, in both our fires and in Butte County, or yeah, Butte County, um, you know, here we are faced with a rainstorm. Now we're like, yeah, the fires are just getting put out. We're still trying to do reentry. Oh, and by the way, 
what are you doing about landslides and assessing the area and trying to figure out, you know, what are you going to be your evacuation protocols if people are in that area or whatever it might be. Um, so that's another huge aspect of recovery or, you know, shifting in the recovery is, is all those auxiliary issues of, you know, when to shut down shelters and what's the defining moment and such. Um, you know, so I don't know if there's a, a great answer for that. I think the biggest part becomes um, who's paying for what. And because um, even in that point, uh, our fire was pretty quick. I mean, most of these bigger fires have been really quick to say, yeah, you're going to qualify. Um, but other other disasters like our our flood last year, it was the fifth biggest flood Sonoma County had ever seen. Um, we have the most repetitive flood loss in the state of California. You know, they weren't making a decision on whether it was going to get, you know, federal or state, you know, funding. I mean, we were going into debris operations and, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to figure out, you know, who's flipping the bill for this because, you know, we're already already so far in the red coming out of the fires a year prior, you know. Um, So what it would take to transition or or to make uh, better recovery efforts, I think, is is really kind of defining the um reimbursement process if you would what what the benchmarks are and i know it's always everybody knows it's consumer price index and blah blah blah. uh but a lot of times it seems to be more political in nature you know you know especially when you're still trying to figure out damage assessment i mean you come after an event you got like three days next thing you know they're they're rolling in you're starting to still do damage assessments um, and get you know some type of a, a realistic number out there. Um, so, you know, probably shoring up those processes and making sure you have a, the tools in place of, of how you're going to do your damage assessment. Are you going to use drones? And a really a lot of if you have some good tech savvy teams, that's the GIS component has been so crucial to gain the situational awareness to be able to put together a realistic damage and where the damage is at and crossing that with your um, the proper assessor, assessor's information and such. Um, I think that really helps you shift into, okay, knowing the situation is controlled and being able to make smarter decisions going forward into, into recovery. Um, you, you know, I, I, I don't think that and this is my personal opinion, and but I don't even think we should shut down the EOC until, you know, you're, you're well, within the beginning stages of the recovery, you know, because I mean, there's so many things you can still use the coordination efforts from the emergency operations center that you could use during the recovery process. I I totally agree. And especially the amount of uh, community engagement that you have to do um, when you start getting into recovery, Um, you know, especially all those, all the the road show of electeds that come into town and they want to, you know, I mean, your whole county administrative staff, everybody is just full on setting up meetings, doing advertisement. The public information piece is so enormous, you know, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger uh, into the recovery aspect. I mean, especially when you have water, you know, issues or, um, you know, uh, right of entry, uh, forms and all the information has to be collected, debris management, and letting the people know what's what's going on with that. Uh, there's just so many different aspects that essentially your staff is is 100% still working a disaster that 
they're trying to say the response is over um, and you're starting to lose, you know, reimbursement aspects. And it's like, these are all services that local government doesn't usually do and that we're not set up for 90%. You know, we, we might have some plans and policies in place, but you know, you're completely shifting into the you 99% of your staff has no, no real uh, experience or um, some baseline training in these areas. And now that's a hundred percent of what they're doing for weeks and, and months on end. Right. Right. And, 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 and I'll tell you the biggest challenge, this Sonoma County, when we had that fire, I would say, and I would think that anybody has this experience would probably be on the same page. I've done plenty of disasters. I did, you know, Katrina back in the day when I was in the military, um, you know, fires and floods here in California Napa earthquake uh it's an it's a different beast when when you live in the jurisdiction in which you're trying to respond to i mean i'm calling family and trying to get them to take my dogs and evacuate so i can go to work uh and now think your entire staff is in that boat and i i applaud the the people we had who showed up who were like you know a day or two later you found out that they lost their home right they're at work still i was about to ask you about that yeah, it was um, phenomenal. So, I mean, so to, so now you've degraded your workforce exponentially by the people who couldn't even respond because they were the same people you that were impacted by the fires. And that was a big issue with our two-in-one center, which then impacted your call center. You know, like that's a big capability that we would lean on to help with the public, uh, in which, you know, degrades your public information and warning. Uh, so that, that happened across the board. So one of the things that you guys did and you shared uh, before is the the little bit about like the donation centers and and the volunteer centers. Can you talk just a little bit about that really quick? Yeah. So honestly, it was probably not one of our stress points. Uh, it was one of the things that I kind of picked up um, when I realized that our team. You know, we had two people in the EOC. We had somebody who was able to go out to incident management teams uh, at. I think it was three or four days into it. Uh, they changed the areas of responsibility. So we kind of didn't need to work with the IMT up in Napa as much. Uh, I realized in our office that we, Hey, we're not really tracking all these volunteer hours and donations uh, at that point. Like it was just the volunteer centers underwater, you know, donations are starting to pound up. I, and I happened to live in the area where I was coming through two shelters on the way into work. And I looked out the window and saw the vet center and I saw all the stuff mounting up. And I said, this is something we need to address um, because nobody said anything about it at this point. Um, so really one of the biggest aspects I think um, was we didn't really have a, distribution plan and these were a lot of donations that it wasn't like bulk commodities coming in from you know you know big valuable stuff coming in from corporate sponsors this was just the stuff the community was giving because they felt that it would be helpful but they don't realize you can't give it back out um so really it was kind of getting an assessment and then trying to figure out the stuff that was being offered how do we capture that information and luckily we had a nonprofit that kind of after a few hours of assessing, like, how do we deal with this um, without standing up a call center and getting, um, you know, a lot of organic staff or our county staff and paying them to taking them out of response capability and adding another thing to do. Um, they were actually doing a, um, a uh, 
the online dot recovers dot org website where they were um, managing their own own call center and had launched a portal in which the community could go on and say, I want to donate or I want to, I need assistance. And we saw that and it was a trusted agent within the County and we just kind of adopted it and published it online um, and, and kind of directed the traffic to them. And then of course our other nonprofits did a fantastic job in which they were taking in donations. You know, we were able to direct a lot of it to Goodwill um, and, and such. And, you know, um, what's the other big one that was around town? Um, Crossing Jordan, uh, you know, Catholic charities, they were taking in commodities until, and the, and the challenge then became when their distribution centers became overwhelmed, then they were no longer able to, you know, then they came back to the county and say, hey, where can we put this? What the, you know, what the public doesn't realize is that at that point, our fleet operation or heavy fleet operations, which is where we do all the maintenance for all the equipment. And Sonoma County is one of the biggest maintenance providers for all of Northern California. So we service equipment for Mendocino County and all these other counties around us. That was completely, uh, completely full of donations and shelter equipment and stuff that came rolling in from the count from the state. Um, so at that point, not only are we having a disaster, but we're no longer making revenue on, on uh, maintenance equipment. So I think I talked to general services, we were losing like $170,000 a day or something stupid um, where we're not providing services to other people um, with, with that facility. Uh, so the community groups were just completely essential in our ability to, you know, they went out and found donated space and started moving commodities and things that were being donated off-site and, and, and getting it away from the shelter and redistributing them around town. Well, Brett, we're getting close to the end here, and I have just uh, two more questions for you. And uh, the last the, before we get this sometimes is called the hardest question. So what book, books, or publication do you recommend to uh, somebody in the field of emergency management? You know, I just did a I did my little research paper for National Emergency Management Advanced Academy, um, and I, I kind of did a cost-benefit analysis of, of, of contracting and emergency management. And one of the biggest takeaways and one of the most influential books that's been on media or on, that I've had um, has actually been The Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's an older publication. I kind of just randomly read it before I even came into this profession because I'm kind of a numbers and economics person, you know. Um, but it really kind of speaks to uh, what you're looking at. There's a lot of other things in there that you maybe, you know, politically somebody might not agree with or whatever. But really looking at the dollars and cents and where money goes, um, there's another one, Disaster Capitalism. Uh, I think it's by and Anthony or something, I forget his name, but essentially looking at, you know, texts that kind of talk, speak to, you know, you're already in a disaster and, you know, how much do these contractors cost, you know, where's the value at it? And, you know, really kind of putting a check, uh, check and balances on your, on your, on your expenses so that you can recover because you're already going to be in a, in the red. Uh, so I, I think, you know, if, if, if EM staff aren't really looking at economic impacts of this, of these disasters, and then, then you can't really make good decisions during the response. Um, I mean, granted, you've got to respond, 
Um, but you also have to recognize when you got to start shedding people and actually managing the incident. Right. And I say this because in some ways we, um, one of the other lessons learned was, you know, for our, our response, you know, we weren't like, you know, in the emergency operations center, the local assistance center shelters, uh, a lot of management staff were just, you know, we were just working excessive hours and we weren't really putting our foot down and saying, Hey, you have to go home or we were feeding people, you know, through long grueling shifts. And then what you find out later is, Oh, those feeding costs are no, not reimbursable right. under FEMA, right? And so people don't think that's a big deal, but when you start having hundreds of thousands of dollars in feeding costs, it rolls up real fast, right? right? And if and if you can tell your staff, listen, you're here for four hours, go take a break, and now, unfortunately, you have to go buy your own meal or bring your own meal and then come back and, and start managing them like normal shifts, you could really bring down the cost of a disaster. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, people like to say it's drops in a bucket, but no, that's how the bucket overflows. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. So if you could say one thing to all the emergency managers in the world at one time, what would it be? Ooh. You know what? Never get, never get complacent and always be looking for a new way to do something. Uh, it's the biggest thing I see right now is people like to fall into the, well, that's how we've been doing it for 10 or 15 years. And I think our profession really needs to, if it wants to make a mark and continue to move forward, you know, to continue to be relevant, I think we need to adapt things that are outside the fire and law perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to really start, you got to be sharp nowadays with with technology understanding its limitations and its capabilities you know people just think you know they see a movie and they think you know alert and warning systems can do x y and z and the reality is is that they they, they may not be perfect yet um and just being adaptive you know being able to take what's a good system and use it in multiple different ways um, because when when something goes wrong uh, when you have a disaster like this you can't just you got to think outside the box and you got to say okay this this may not be work this may not work but it's going to be the best thing i can can use right now um, so I, I definitely think you got to be we got to adapt and we have to start embracing new ideas new techniques and um and be looking for those hungry people that are that are coming up behind us and you know, and, and bringing them into the game, if you would. All right. Well, Brett, from uh, a sailor to a soldier, thank you for your service, and uh, thank you for being on here. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. I hope you have a great day.
Thank you.